Welcome back to the Art of Charm podcast, the show designed to help you communicate with power and become unstoppable on your path from hidden genius to influential leader. And we know you have what it takes to reach your full potential. And that's why each and every week, Johnny and I share with you interviews and strategies to help you transform your life by unlocking your own X factor. That's whether you're in sales, leadership, medicine, building client relationships, or even looking for love, we have what you need. You shouldn't have to settle for anything less than extraordinary. I'm AJ. And I'm Johnny. Did you know that you can get the entire Art of Charm podcast back catalog? That's right, 15 years of podcasts featuring expert guests and toolbox episodes when you subscribe to Stitcher Premium. We have the link in the show notes. Head on over to Stitcher and use code CHARM to get a free month of Stitcher Premium. That's right, all your favorite episodes ad-free at Stitcher.com. We are so pumped up for today's interview. Today, Peter Bregman joins us. Peter helps successful people become exceptional leaders and stellar human beings. He blends his deep expertise in business, leadership, and people to deliver quantifiable results, such as turnarounds, revenue and stock growth, executive team development, and even personal development. Peter's recognized as one of the number one executive coaches in the world by leading global coaches. He's also the best-selling author and contributor of over 18 books. Today, we're talking about his latest book, You Can Change Other People, the four steps to help your colleagues, employees, and even family up their game, and it just came out. He's also the host of the Top 10 Business Podcast, The Bregman Leadership Podcast. Welcome to the show, Peter. Thanks, AJ. I'm very excited to be here. Now, we've all heard the truism that you can't change other people, you can only change yourself. Why do we believe this myth and struggle so much with changing others? You know, it's because we try to change people in the wrong ways. You know, people don't resist change. They resist being changed. You know, we all make changes in our lives. We change jobs. We get married. We have babies. We change careers. We build careers. We get education. We do all of this stuff. So I'm very willing to change. But if you try to change me, that reflects my loss of control. It reflects my loss of autonomy. And I'm going to push back. And so, so the, the way in which we try to change people often generates the kind of resistance that we end up complaining about when we say, you can't change other people, you can only change yourself. I have to completely agree with you there. And not only that, I see that in myself more than anything. And, and AJ and I have been working together for close to 15, over 15 years now. And that is certainly how I am about things. I don't like strenuous pressures. And, and, and anytime I start to feel that, it angers me and it puts the brakes on anything that I'm doing. Um, and I'm happy to change and I love to be growth-minded and always looking for opportunities to grow. However, those outside forces certainly do <laughs> number on me. <laughs> you know, Johnny, I, I really appreciate that and I appreciate you saying it. And also, like, I noticed that I react to my own sort of adult self trying to control myself, I react with that way. And the, what I'm thinking about is, you know, I have a sugar thing. Like, I love sugar. I like ice cream. I, and I know it's, like, not healthy for me and not a good idea to eat, you know, like a whole pint of Ben & Jerry's. Like, that's just not, you know, smart. But I'll start eating it. And then my in my mind, I'll say, Peter, you know, you really shouldn't be eating this. Like, this is not healthy for you. It's not smart. It's not aligned with your goals. And my response will be, 
screw you. I get to eat whatever I want to eat. You know, like I, I resist my own control that I try to put on myself. I resist that, which is why, you know, then we say, well, we have really weak willpower. And it's not that. I have very strong willpower. It's that we resist being changed, even when we feel like that strong hand of change is coming from ourselves. What I've also found is that oftentimes when others are changing me, I feel the need to rationalize that I'm the one in control of the change. <laughs> Absolutely. So when I think about my relationship with my fiance, she's definitely had an impact on me, but I will always rationalize it that these were my choices in the change, that this was my idea. <laughs> Yeah, sure, I'm dressing completely differently, but that's because I want to dress completely differently. I look pretty good, right? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> now, we also know that change is a part of organizations growing, and you argue it's really the most important skill that we can develop as a leader. Why is this ability so important in your eyes? You know, that's what a leader does. I mean, the role of a leader is to set vision. It's to align people behind the vision. It's to sort of collectively aggregate the work of everybody and move everybody in the direction of, you know, what they're trying to achieve and help them collaborate. I could tell you countless stories of turnaround leaders who come in and without changing over the workforce, uh, give the example in the book of Brian Gaffney, who I worked with as a coach. And Brian was the CEO of Allianz Global Distributors. And he went in and they were losing tens of millions of dollars. They were losing, I think, $130 million, $140 million. And he turned that around in a few years to a $30 million profit. And he did it with all the same people. So meaning he didn't just fire everybody and hire a bunch of new people. The same people who were losing $130 million before he came in as CEO were suddenly you know, instrumental to making $30 million of profit after that. And so that's his job. His job, the job of a leader is to go into an organization and see what's happening and help change the way people are doing things so that they are aligned, connected, committed and driving towards a common goal. That's what leaders do. We better learn how to do that well. Also, the one other thing I'll say is that, you know, leaders, when they're really effective, help everybody around them perform at a higher level, like what I call up their game. And so, you know, like that's our job as leaders is to bring out the best, the best of the people who are working for us so that they perform at a level higher than they were performing beforehand. That's changing. I think the easiest example for everyone to see with that is in sports. And a lot of times you'll have the, the same ragtag team that didn't put together a winning season last year, but maybe it's a new coach who came in who got them motivated and focused on the same vision. Or perhaps the coach who was there had figured out a way to get everybody on board with that vision. Yeah, 100%. And, you know, you also see that with a player who comes on. And it's not that the player, him or herself, you know, changes everything because they're so amazing. It's actually you see, you know, Tom Brady's an interesting example. I'm pretty sure he's not deflating all the balls, right? I think when he, you know, he joins another team and suddenly that team's winning the Super Bowl, you might just say, wow, he's amazing. You could put a group of you know, gorillas on the field with him and he would win. That's not it. But he's having an impact on the team and the team is playing in a way that is much more effective as a team based on some things that he's doing. 
What do you think are the biggest misconceptions that we have around change? Obviously, in writing and researching this book, you have a model, but many of us, as we talked about, we're resistant to change. We even bought into this truism that you can't change others. So what are those misconceptions around change? So why don't I lay the foundation of what it takes to change? And then and then I'll share what I think is the biggest misconception so I'm going to like try to build some suspense here. When, you awesome. Know, and the biggest misconception that I think, especially in corporate America, we get totally wrong and we get wrong in our relationships. So it's all over the place. So what people need to change is four things. Ownership, independent capability, emotional courage, and what I call, or Howie and I, my co-author, we call it future-proofing or resilience, right? So ownership is I have to own it. Like if I own it, if it's coming from me, then I'll make it successful. If I have an idea that is 100% perfect and you gave it to me versus an idea that's 75% there, but I invent, I created it myself, how much more likely am I going to work and put everything I have into it in order to work and make my 75% idea successful than to make your 100% idea successful, right? way more. Like if your 100% idea doesn't work, you had a stupid idea, right? If my 75% idea, you know, works, wow, I'm brilliant. So that's, you know, I'm going to work that time out. Independent capability means we've got to be able to follow through. We have to be able to execute. You know, it's not just an idea, but it's executing. Emotional courage is the willingness to feel something, which is critical to follow through. Right. So my, the book I wrote before this one is called Leading with Emotional Courage. And that's the, that's the underlying idea behind that book. If you think of a difficult conversation you're not having, right? One that you need, you know you need to have, but you're not having. Consider why you're not having it. I bet you know everything you need to know to have it. I bet you're perfectly skilled enough to have it. And I bet you've had time and opportunity. And that's usually what we try to solve for when we're helping to execute. But that's not the stuff that gets in the way. What gets in the way is you're going to have to feel something. If you have that hard conversation, you might have to feel their anger or you're hurting them or shame or that weird passive aggressive thing that happens when you give someone feedback and they go, thank you so much. I really appreciate that. And then they don't talk to you for three weeks. Like you have to be willing to feel that stuff. And if you're willing to feel everything, if you're willing to feel the shame and the embarrassment and the anger and the past, if you're willing to feel everything, you can do anything. So emotional courage is a key piece of this. And then finally, future-proofing or resilience, which is if you get very, very good at solving certain kinds of problems and performing, what that buys you is more difficult problems and a higher need to perform afterwards. And so, you know, like that's the gift of succeeding is you get more challenges to succeed with. And so, so in order to really change in a way that sticks, you have to be able to continue to do that. So that's, that's what we need is ownership, independent capability, emotional courage, and future-proofing. So now the, the reveal, right? Like what, what's the big thing that gets in the way? Actually, the big thing is that almost always when we try to change people, we approach it as a critic and not as an ally. We are not approaching it as someone who's helping them. We're approaching it as someone who's trying to point out what they're doing wrong. And, and in organizations, the place where we get so stuck in this is feedback, right? And, and we get stuck in this in our relationships too, right? Which is that this sense that, okay, I'm going to be brutally honest with you, right? Because I'm a good guy and I call it straight and I believe in transparency. So I'm going to be brutally honest with you, which as someone who just put a comment in, in a, I did a LinkedIn Live this morning and they put a comment saying, 
brutal honesty is almost always 90% brutal and 10% honest, right? And I love that. I think that's totally true. And, and it's like, you know, brutal honesty just knocks people down. It has the opposite effect. And so we, we're building these cultures and organizations where, you know, the whole idea is radical truth and I'm going to be, you know, totally honest. And it's very, very destructive. And people spiral down. And we approach change by being critics, which, by the way, takes away all ownership, mutes, mutes their independent capability, it limits what they can do afterwards because now they're in defensive mode and they're not going to take chances to build and learn and growth mindset. And it, it, you know, emotional courage, it makes it even like it creates the bar of emotional courage. Now you're going to have to take massive risk, which is going to risk being knocked down again by this destructive feedback. And, you know, you're never going to be able to perform in the future after that. So if you think about what, what is required in order to make change, right? Ownership, independent capability, future-proofing, emotional courage, all of those things get knocked down. All of those things get reduced when we just come in as a critic or we give you feedback or we're, you know, transparently, brutally honest with you. That's, I think, the biggest mistake that I see happening. Well, we all want to have an impact. And in large part, those four traits or pieces to actually change are tied directly to us feeling that impact, seeing that impact. And when we are faced with a critic, immediately our impact is diminished. We feel less than, and that doesn't inspire change. That requires us to start to retreat and feel less of an impact. And of course, that cycle is then hard to break when you talk about team members and really trying to bring people into a plan to execute to enjoy that change. 100%. 100%. I'm with you. I think the other thing that is, is important there is if there is not a larger vision that you can attach the, the values and the work that you're putting into then it's easier to get to take any of that criticism personally. If you if you're if you're along for the vision and the, and the main goal, you can focus on that. You can put aside your hurt feelings in the moment because you understand there's a there's a bigger thing here. And for myself in the last fifteen years of the art of charm, certainly there's been a lot of growth moments that didn't come without a lot of frustration and fighting and and criticism and, and, and honesty. And what made it easy to deal with is, well, there's a, there's an ultimate vision and goal here that is more important than how I feel in this, in this moment. And I have to push those, those things aside, but still it's not easy. (laughs) Absolutely. Johnny. One of the first questions I ask, and, and we're, we're actually getting into some of the steps, right? Because the first step is shifting from a critic to an ally and there's ways of doing that, but shifting from critic and ally. The second step is what you're talking about, Johnny, which is to move away from the problem and towards the outcome. One of the first questions I always ask when I'm coaching is someone will come to me and say, I'm struggling with this or this is a problem. And I'll say, well, what's the outcome you want? Like, what are you going for? Let's go for something that's energizing and that's exciting. And that, you know, if I'm coming to the conversation, I'm complaining about this terrible person on my team. They interrupt, they're aggressive, they're, you know, they won't let something die. They'll raise uncomfortable issues. Like they're really annoying. If I just try to solve that problem, the easy solution is great. Let's fire them. No more problem person. No more problem. Right. But if you stop and you go, okay, got it. I hear you. I get it. What's the outcome you want? 
And they say, well, I want this person to stop being disruptive. And, you know, that's not really an outcome. I mean, that's an outcome, but it's just the negation of the problem. So you got to, you know, for the sake of what? Like for the sake of what? For, you know, because I would like some peace on this team. I would like this team to collaborate and get along. Okay, so if the team just agreed with each other all the time, is that going to be the outcome? Well, no, I don't want that. You know, what I actually want is a high-performing team. That's what I want, a high-performing team. Great. That's exciting. We can get behind this idea of I want a high-performing team, right? So once I get that, and that's what you're saying, right? You're saying, like, let's get to some outcome. Let's get to something exciting, something greater that we want. Great. Then we can go back to the problem and begin to solve the problem in light of this outcome that we want. That key distinction between a negative and a positive outcome, I think we have to highlight because a negative, again, comes with criticism and cuts directly into our emotional state. Don't do this. You can't do that. And of course, naturally as humans, we see this in children, when someone's told don't do something, you're highlighting the wrong thing. You can't possibly get by it. I will (laughs) eat that pint of ice cream. (laughs) Right. We're threatening their agency, their ability to make the choice that they want to make. So in those moments where we now understand, moving on to step two, and I, I do want to double back to Ally, but understanding the outcome piece I get it with teams, but let's talk a little bit about personal relationships and and how that plays a little bit of a different role because outcomes in a company setting, they're usually pretty clearly defined and easier to find the positives. But when it comes to our personal relationships, that's a more difficult challenge. What if you knew when people wanted to connect with you? Or even when someone was interested in you for a potential relationship? The fact is it's possible to have this ability and gain it quickly. We call this skill seeing the matrix, and it's a key reason why our coaching students experience such fantastic results, many times after just one X-Factor accelerator call, because they discover what to listen for and how to recognize the signals that open the door for influence and persuasion. When you have this knowledge, you instantly change the way you interact with people. You begin communicating with confidence because you remove all the doubt and fear from your mind. I just received this message in our WhatsApp group from our student, William, just returned from a trade show in Chicago, an event he previously attended and dreaded the entire time. This year, though, he not only made sales, William felt more confident than ever when presenting his company's products, so much so that he ended up taking a woman out he met while doing a product demo. William saw her at a post-event party and walked right up to the group she was in. They went out to dinner and a nightclub the next night. Outcomes like these is why we are so passionate about having you join our X-Factor Accelerator group. Once you see the matrix, will you realize just how many opportunities you were missing out on? Sales, relationships, new social circles, promotions, even leadership positions. This happens to everyone. Yet here's the good news. When you start viewing your daily interactions with a different lens, knowing how to take back those missed opportunities becomes crystal clear. We then accelerate this process with you, often in just your first call, by diagnosing the blind spots that are preventing those breakthroughs. So the change happens really fast inside the X-Factor Accelerator. The bottom line, after 15 years and 9,000 plus clients, we know how to get you results fast. You'll see it happen the moment you join X-Factor Accelerator, because we start every call with members connecting and sharing their wins. We want to share your wins with our community. 
Are you ready to unlock your X Factor and become extraordinary? Apply today to join our X Factor Accelerator at unlockyourxfactor.com. Start seeing results immediately and build high-value relationships inside our private community. Unlockyourxfactor.com. Great. So, so you know, in personal relationships, and, and I agree with you, and I think the, uh, it ups the ante, like in the, the emotional courage that we need in, in personal relationships is, is the greatest, right? Because, you know, because it's like, it feels like our life depends on it. Like th- this is the person that we're most vulnerable with, or this is, you know, or these people or even friends that we're like, you know, this is, this is not just a compartmentalized part of my life. Uh, this is my whole life. So let's take the step back to the outcome, uh, sorry, to the uh, critic ally. And let's just take an example that let's say that I'm frustrated that my wife, who's perfect, by the way, so this is totally a made up situation. Um, my wife is on her phone often and, and I'm frustrated and like we're having dinner and she's checking her phone and a beep comes and she checks her phone. And, and so the critic would be like, stop it. Like, stop it. Like we're together, put down your phone. Like it's like, you can't be away from your phone for three minutes without having to check your phone. Like that's really frustrating and annoying. Like, please stop that. Right. Total critic approach. Right. So the first thing is to say, okay, so I, you know, like, what is my positive intent? Like, what, what do I, I want to be able to connect with her. And yes, I could criticize and that will make me feel better than her and make me feel right. And she's wrong, which makes me feel safe and is completely and totally ineffective. So, you know, instead of that, let me say, okay, so I want to help. Like I want, I want to help in this situation. I don't want to just attack her. I want to help. And then the next thing would be, what is her, I have to, in my head, just so that I can understand what is her positive intent? Like what, like why would, in her mind, why is she doing what she's doing? She's not doing what she's doing in order to be distant and disconnected. Like there's some reason that she's doing it, right? So why is she doing it? She's checking, she's, she's in charge of the, we have three kids. I'm not checking the emails for the kids in that moment like she is. Or she's, or, you know, and also like she and I share this, but it's like, if I've got too many things going on, I have to close loops. I'm super uncomfortable with like open loops. And, you know, if, if an email comes in, I want to get to it. So I can understand that. I don't need to be right about it. I just need to understand it so that I've softened my approach to her. And then, and then the third step is what I call the permission formula, which is to empathize, to express confidence, and to ask permission. That's the most important part, to ask permission, right? And to be able to say, hey, you know, like, I, I get how distracting, I do it all the time too, I get how distracting phone beeps can be, and et cetera, and, and I know that you're sort of tracking a bunch of things that are going on. Um, I also know that you, you know, at other times are really able to put the phone down and and to like really be present to our conversation are you willing to can we talk about this like are you willing to be in a conversation about this right and if she says no then i have to accept her no right but i've done this a lot of times and i've done this with my kids especially and my kids will sometimes say no no i don't want to talk about it hey you know, you just ate a, an entire plate of chocolate chip cookies. There's a theme in our family, obviously. Hey, you just ate an entire uh, plate of chocolate chip cookies. I know that, you know, I could tell by the look on your face that you're feeling a little guilty and not feeling great about that. 
And I know that you've managed your eating differently in the past. Is this something you want to think about with me? Do you want, like, I have some thoughts. Do you want to, do you want to talk about it? No, dad, I'm good. All right. Okay. That's your call. I'm here if you ever want to. That afternoon, she came back to me and said, hey, I would like to talk to you about it right now, which by the way, is great because it's her control. If I don't get permission from her, I'm controlling the situation. If I get permission from my wife, if I get permission from my daughter, now we're in a conversation. So that's step one. Then step two is what is the outcome? And this is where, you know, to your point, it, it's, you know, it's easy to find positive outcomes in business. Is it as easy in personal relationships? I would say absolutely if we approach it as an ally and not as a critic. So at the point in which I could approach it as an ally, I could say, what do you want? Like from this dinner, what do you want? Like, what do you want from this dinner? Like, what's the outcome you want? Like, what do you, you know, I really like, we don't go out on dates enough. Like, I really want to connect. Great. I want to connect too. Now we're totally aligned on the outcome that we want. And then we could problem solve, right? Now we can go back to the problem and go, how is this, you know, an opportunity? How is this problem of the phone ringing, you know, or or beeping every three minutes? How is that actually an opportunity to get closer? And now we're off and running. And, and, you know, we could talk more about that stuff also. But, but the idea is with your personal relationships, you are far more aligned than you think. And you can be if you approach it, if you're willing to overstep your hurt or at least not overstep because you have to feel it. But recognize that behind your hurt, behind your anger, behind your frustration, the reason you're feeling those things is because you care, is because you have love, is because you, you, you know, have, uh, uh, you're, you're vulnerable in those places. And that that's where that comes out. Frustration comes out of care. We're not frustrated about something we don't care about, right? We're not, fr- we're not angry at someone that we, you know, who's close to us in our relationship, who's blocking some kind of a connection with us if we don't love them. Like, and it's, it's just, we protect ourselves by by going to anger and frustration and hurt. We protect ourselves because then we don't have to be vulnerable and going, wow, I really love you. And it's feeling vulnerable right now because you're not paying any attention to me. Like that's a very different place to come from. Peter, I'm curious if, if you have seen this. When you discuss that there's only, the, the reason that you're frustrated is that you care. And I, I agree with that, but I want to offer a caveat. And where I've seen the anger and the the pushback is also when somebody is trying to create a character or a facade that they want you to see and that facade gets broken or it's coming apart. There's a lot of anger pushback, which they will, they will use to, dis, uh, to disguise as they're caring about the outcome or whatnot. But it's because the facade that they work so hard in putting together has been disrupted or uh, is is coming apart, and so now they're they're angry about that. More so, angry at themselves in the situation that they're in. Have you experienced that, or is there anything that you could say to that? Yeah, I I think that's very. I mean, I, I think you're articulating something that happens a lot. We have a self image, and and any time that we, um, and this this is why coming in as a critic is so hurtful, which is. Um, if you like, 
this, and by the way, this is the job of a leader. And, and this is actually the job of someone who's going to be successful in a relationship is to be willing. Now this is on the other side to be willing to, this is what a, a mentor of mine told me once, Peter, you have to be willing to see yourself the way other people see you. You cannot fight to have them see you the way you would like to be seen. You have to see how they see you. And, and you have to have a thick skin around that. So that's part of it. So part of it is to say, I feel misunderstood. I feel like, you know, like not seen. And, um, and, and I, and this is my emotional courage. I have to be willing to feel that. Like if, because not everyone's going to use my process, right? So like, they're going to come at me as critics. And if I want to be successful in that dynamic, I have to be willing to say, okay, they're coming at me as a critic. I, I can correct them and help them come at me in a more productive way. Um, I could tell them to read my book, uh, but instead I'm just going to say like, okay, so what's the outcome we want here? I'm going to, for me, I'm going to skip that step and go to the outcome where I know I could begin to create a collaboration. So that's on the other side of it. And I think the reason, like the reason I'm proposing here, build some skill at coming to someone as an ally, as opposed to a critic, is to soften the blow to the self-image. Because when we have a blow to the self-image, we go to shame. And the number, shame is the, the most difficult emotion for anybody to feel. And we will do almost anything not to feel shame. And the easiest go-tos to avoid feeling shame is denial and defensiveness, right? If I, if, if I prove you wrong, if that way you're seeing me is wrong, then I have no reason to feel shame because you're just wrong, right? It's your problem, not mine. And, and so the, one of the things, like when we approach as an ally, we bypass the shame and we can get into a real conversation. What's important there is that shame mechanism. Because if this person that you had worked to be an ally with want to upgrade what, what they're doing and help them so that they can contrib contribute more to what is going on and to this vision, that if they are seen in the wrong way, rather than trying to defend this, this character that they had put together or this facade that they want you to see, going in and correcting some of the things that they are doing that shows that they are changing how they're operating could contribute to the vision more so so that they would change certain behaviors that are leading you to see through the facade. Absolutely. That's absolutely right. Johnny, we know if you listen to the show, you are driven. In fact, we're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to recent Indeed survey. We have hired a lot of team members over the last 17 years. Going through endless resumes, well, that's a time sink. But you know what else is a time sink? Interviewing endless people, because they're all going to give you the best face forward. That's why we love Indeed, leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every single day 
Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash charm. Just go to Indeed.com slash charm right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash charm. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Over the last 17 years, we have launched our fair share of online courses, coaching programs, and finding the right platform has always been a challenge. They say if you do what you love, you never work a day in your life. But if you're an entrepreneur, you know the hard work that comes with it. That's why you need Kajabi. Kajabi makes it easy to run your entire online business from one platform so you can focus on what you love, creating. Kajabi is the ultimate all-in-one platform that helps creators and entrepreneurs build successful online businesses by unlocking predictable recurring revenue. No matter your niche, Kajabi makes it easy to turn your skills, passions, and experiences into enriching online courses, exclusive membership sites, subscription podcasts, thriving communities, personalized coaching, and more. The best part? Kajabi doesn't cut into your revenue because everything is owned and controlled by you. So keep 100% of what you earn. And with Kajabi, you also get robust analytics, easy payment options, email marketing tools, and customizable website templates all built in. You don't even need a huge audience to make sustainable income. There are thousands of creators on Kajabi making six and seven figures with less than 50,000 followers. Right now, Kajabi is offering a free 30-day trial to start your business if you go to kajabi.com slash charm. That's K-A-J-A-B-I dot com slash charm. Go to Kajabi dot com slash charm and join the creators and entrepreneurs who have made over $7 billion. Well, I think another big challenge in this, and we can go back to your Allianz example, obviously that's a massive turnaround and there's going to be a lot of issues causing emotional reactions in that leader. And part of being an ally is managing your own emotions and compartmentalizing that. And I think that's really where the rubber meets the road between a critic and an ally. And we've all been there where our emotions are getting the best of us. So what recommendations do you have when you're in those really high pressure situations? I, I mean, even the example with your wife, maybe you had a, a difficult client who wasn't handling the coaching well and he was peppering you with emails. And that emotion is now carried over into this conversation with your wife. We could see how that has an impact. So do you have any exercises that our listeners can use to help manage those emotions to more effectively become that ally? Yeah, I I think it's a great question. It's a deep question. And the answer is, you know, there's a whole camp that says repress your feelings. I'm not part of that camp. There's a whole camp that says express everything that you're feeling. I'm not a part of that camp, right? Like, I think both of those are, are, um, are dysfunctional in their own particular ways. So what I, I'm part of the camp that says Feel everything. Be willing to feel everything. Recognize that you are bigger than any one emotion. So be willing to feel all of that energy. Become comfortable and experienced feeling lots of this kind of energy and this emotion. And in a way in which it doesn't overwhelm you, right? And then make choices. And then from that place, make choices. I could be furious at you and I could feel all of that fury 
and then breathe and say, okay, so what's, what's needed now? Like what will be helpful in this situation? Probably screaming at you wouldn't, but what would be helpful? Like what, you know, like what would be appropriate and useful and help us to move towards an outcome that I want? So that's not repressing the feeling. I'm not pretending, I'm not sitting there going, I'm not angry. No, no, I'm not angry at all, right? And we've all met those people. So no, I I could be furious, but I don't have to get mad at you. I don't even have to tell you that I'm angry. What I have to do is do and say the things that will change the trajectory of the way that we're moving. And by the way, an exercise that could be helpful if it's hard in that moment is go into a room, and we could all do this now that we're you know at home in Zoom, go into the room and hit on your bed as hard as you can and scream and scream and scream as loud as you can, put your face in a pillow and scream and move some of that energy that is building in your body that's a little hard to contain. It's physical energy in your body. You know, I run a leadership intensive, this leadership program, and and it's, you know, it's, it's interesting. It was literally ranked the number one leadership program in the world by Global Gurus, you know, over Harvard's program and Duke's program. And, and it's all about emotional courage. And so what I, the reason I find that funny is because, you know, H, and I write for HBR and I know, but all these programs are like, we're going to give you a ton of knowledge that's going to help you. And I'm in my leadership program. I'm like, I'm not going to give you any knowledge. Like I'm going to not, I'm going to share as little, you will hear me lecture as little as possible, but I'm going to give you a ton of experiences that allow you to feel a ton of stuff that is going to grow your capacity to feel, which will then grow your capacity to act. And the most effective people in the world have a bias towards action and you're going to be able to act effectively. So I don't care if you know more when you leave this intensive. I do care that you can do more when you leave the intensive. And that's all about having. So for me, when I, when someone, uh, you know, someone said to me recently, I don't want to hurt you. And my answer was hurt me. Like, that's okay. I could be hurt. Like, it's okay for you to hurt me. I don't, I don't need to live a life in which I don't get hurt. I'll be responsible for that. If you're hurting me too much, I might tell you to go away, right? But it's okay. We're going to hurt each other in this world. And so to be able to not let that overwhelm us, but to actually be able to engage in conversation around it feels like it's the most important thing. Well, all of that knowledge in the world is not helpful if it doesn't inspire action. And even if we have a desired outcome, we know just because it's an outcome as humans, we're not going to move towards it unless we see some positive payoff, some carrot that's going to excite us. So let's talk a bit about the opportunity and how we, in that third step, can elucidate an opportunity that gets the team excited, that gets the person we're working with on board with this change that we both need. It's a great question. And, and you know, once we've done the critic to ally and once we've done what is the outcome, and then we're still faced with a problem, right? The problem still exists. This person who's disruptive in the team is still there. You know, the phone beeping every three minutes is still there. And so, and, and the question isn't, so how do we solve for that? The question, and this was the hardest chapter to write and the longest chapter in the book, because... It, you know, when Howie and I were working, it was sort of unpacking, trying to unpack what I do. And, you know, Howie would say, well, so what's your technique? I'm like, I, I don't, this is just what I do. Like, here's what, give me an example. Here's what it would be. And it was, it was sort of hard. And we came up with, you know, a number of six or seven things that cover 80, 90% of the situations. So one of them is 
what is, if someone's behaving badly, one of the questions that we ask is, what is good about their bad behavior? Not good about them. We're not saying, oh, they can't all be bad. You know, like, what is the good stuff? No, what we're saying is, you've got this outcome, right? You want a, you want a, a, a high-performing team. And, and you've got this person who's disruptive and, you know, forcing us to talk about stuff we don't want to talk about. And I understand how that behavior is disruptive. How can that behavior be helpful to you in getting to a high-performing team, right? And that conversation becomes really interesting. And in the end, that conversation is, well, you know, we're a bunch of lambs. Like, we, we're, we care so much about politeness and, and peace, and this thing that we're frustrated with that will never contradict each other. And so we actually need someone. We need her boldness, and she could probably use some of our civility. And if we can combine her boldness with our civility, we will be an unbeatable team. Well, now we're kind of, now we found an opportunity that's kind of exciting. I mean, I don't even know this person and I'm kind of excited to work on that problem, which says, you know, we could be an unbeatable team if we just, you know, up each of our games, both in civility and boldness, we could be really effective. We have to have that conversation. You know, another common opportunity is oftentimes there's a problem and I'm scared. I'm scared of having a conversation. I'm scared. And always if there is an opportunity to do something I haven't done before, that's always an opportunity. There's another opportunity. Let's go back to the example of, of, of texting. You know, the, the opportunity is to connect, is to feel, feel connection. Like, I'm sorry, that's the outcome. The outcome we're going for is feel connection. We both want that. And so there's a way in which perhaps that phone, first of all, putting away the phone is an opportunity to actively show commitment to the connection, right? Actively show commitment to the connection. You go like, yeah, I'm going to put it away. But there's another thing which actually could end up being kind of a fun, funny thing. And I actually haven't tried this, but maybe we should do this, which is leave the phone there and actually turn it on. And then every time it beeps, let that be a reminder to go, are we really connected? Are we connecting? You know, like, are we really, is there something we could say? And, and they're like, it's, it's almost, you know, it almost becomes a joke, but it becomes a joke that actually deepens our connection. Now we've got this like little private joke. Now we're going to be in a group of people and their phone's going to ring and we're going to look at each other, right? And we're going to use it as an example of connection. So it's about creatively finding where the problem isn't just a problem, but it's also an opportunity. And that problem, in a sense, becomes part of the solution, right? So it's not demonized, it's not vilified, there's not judgment tied to it. If it's a problem, it is elucidating for us that there is an opportunity behind it. So it's not something to run from, it's not something to blame, shame, or create these feelings of guilt. Now, this then leads to, of course, how in these situations where it's not clear cut, where the other person is getting defensive, no matter how much we've tried to be an ally, no matter how much we've showcased empathy, where they're just unwilling to see that as the opportunity. Yeah, you know, and it's interesting, even in, in your question, um, we're not the one finding the opportunity, we're stoking them to find the opportunity. So the truth is, sometimes I will help them with like, well, how about this? or How about that? 
But it's really, we're asking questions to say, given this new energizing thing, and by the time you've gotten to this energizing outcome, and you've established credibility as an ally, and you've, you know, gotten to this uh, energizing outcome, you, you've already changed the energy in the room. Like you've already, you know, now, like at this point, you know, you're not fighting someone, you're kind of aligned with them, and they see that and they believe it. So now you're sitting together. And you're saying, you know, if we were like this beforehand, now we're like this, how can we look? How can we look together at this problem and find the opportunity to get to our outcome? What might it be? No idea. You know, let's just brainstorm. Like, no idea is bad. Like, let's, you know, look through. Would it fall into one of the categories that, you know, are listed in the book? Or would it, or would we just invent something? Like, what could it be? How could it be an opportunity? Let's get creative. And let's come up with four or five different ideas. We don't have to hit on the right one right away. And when we get to that fourth stage, stage, which is planning, we talk about a level 10 plan. And a level 10 plan is a, a, a plan that I am one out of 10, 10 confident that I will follow through. Not that I'm a 10 confident that it'll work. I don't know if it's going to work, but I'm confident that I could follow through because we're scientists here. So we don't have to get this right. We could say, let's try it. By the way, every time, like we have this idea that the phone's gonna beep and every time it beeps, you know, like, hey, let's connect a little more. And after the third time it beeps, I'm like, you know what, not working. <laughs> like, let's try something else because I'm just getting frustrated that this phone keeps interrupting my conversation. You know, or maybe it does work, I don't know, but we're gonna just follow through on a couple of ideas, try something and keep doing it. And it reduces, it releases the pressure that we feel to like get it right and make it perfect and show up exactly the way we need to show up. So it's like, you know, we reduce that pressure by, by experimenting, by, you know, being willing to say, hey, let's throw out a couple of ideas and try some stuff and maybe it works, maybe it doesn't. Well, I really like that idea of the brainstorming because again, it's not you just coming with the outcome and the predefined opportunities that you as a leader see you're, in a sense, getting the buy-in and the commitment from team members, uh, those who have been harmed by the problem and those who might be causing the problem, so we can all get to a place of working together again instead of just highlighting that one person and, and their inadequacies. It's funny because I, I, for myself, I was on a bike ride and I thought, okay, I'm going to try to use this process on myself. Like, I, I don't, you know, I'm, 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 I'm the world's number one executive coach, you know, in the world, right? I was ranked that in the world. I'm going to try this on myself. I couldn't do it. I couldn't do it because we're caught in our own loops. So like what I need is an ally. I need somebody. They don't have to be an amazing coach. They can ask me questions. We could collaborate together. The greatest gift in the world is to have someone there who's saying, hey, let me help you with that. Like the person who's our greatest enemy becomes our greatest gift if, if we're aligned. And, and they can say, hey, I'm happy to help you think this through. I care that you succeed. I'm happy to help you think this through. And so I, I really found the usefulness of like being a coach or the usefulness of like having someone help you through a process like this and the brainstorming, like you need someone to brainstorm with. We can't, we're not going through life alone. We can't figure this out on our own. I don't feel good about ideas unless I bounce them off several people and go, what are the blind spots? What am I not seeing? Does this make sense? Where am I tripping up? How solid is this? <laughs> There'll be times where I hit up AJ. I'm like, I just need to run this by you. This is what I'm thinking. 
what's going on here. And I, that needs to be off multiple people before I can feel good about it. Right. And, you know, of course, conceptually, we might say, I want AJ to say it's a dumb idea if it's a dumb idea. But I don't know if that's entirely true. Like you, like you, you, yes, you want him to help you poke holes. But as soon as you felt like AJ was above you or AJ was saying, oh, that's a stupid idea or whatever, you're going to be far less likely to show him the next idea. Even if you sort of want the criticism, it has to come as an ally. It has to come as well. That's interesting. I can see where this idea is coming from. You know, let's explore it. Like, what's the outcome you're trying to get to? Like, you know, you have this idea. What's the outcome? Great. And and so how is this going to get us there? Well, maybe we could refine it a little bit. Maybe we could build on this. Maybe we could take away that piece. And now you're a couple of people really collaborating, and that must feel really good. Well, with AJ, it's always in the context of the, the greater vision and goal that we have agreed upon in, in order to work together. It's much different when you when you go out outside of that. It's easier to feel that you're being attacked rather than having an ally who's working with you over yeah. the idea. Yeah, yeah. And it's really, by the way, it's a, it not only is it a gift to the person you're helping, it's a total gift to you as the helper. I mean, rather than be frustrated with someone, you emerge the conversation feeling really good and feeling like you could be helpful. And ultimately, we all want that. Like, it feels good to help people. It feels good to be in collaborative relationships. And they're hard. You know, it helps to have a path to it. But it's, it's really a gift to both. Can we drill down a little bit on the plan itself? Because I know that some are very open and okay with a loose plan, and some want very specific details to be part of a plan. Are there any indicators that you have that you look for that allows you to feel like, great, we have a level 10 plan that we can all commit to and execute on? Yeah, I always want, I always ask the sort of newspaper questions, what, when, where, how, why, you know, like, like I, you know, that first paragraph that you learn in high school of like a good essay should answer all these questions in the first paragraph. So I generally look for like my eighth grade first paragraph as, as a way of assessing, you know, is this a good plan? And then I really, that, that last question is super important, like one to 10, what is your you know, we, we have a plan now. We know what you're going to do, when you're going to do it, how you're going to do it. You've sort of identified some risks. What's the likelihood you're going to follow through? One through 10. Sometimes they'll say 11, which is great, great. Sometimes they'll say six. And then my question is, all right, so what would make it a 10? What's missing between the six and a 10? You know, once I said that I was coaching someone and they said, you know, it's a, it's a th- what's your likelihood you're going to do that this week? It's a three. And I was shocked. I'm like a three, like, Really? We did all this work and you're giving me a three? You know, I thought we were aligned. Why is it a three? Well, the person I'm uh, needing to have this conversation with is on vacation this week with his family. I was like, oh, well, well, it should be a zero then. Please do not call them on vacation to have this conversation. It should not be a three, right? What is the likelihood you're going to have this conversation in the next three weeks? Oh, it's a 10. Okay, good. We're, you know, but it, it really clarifies things. If you sort of ask for a number and then you figure out where the gaps are. Now, everything we've discussed in terms of change has either been coming from someone who's a leader who's above or someone who's an equal. But many in our audience are striving to become senior leaders, are noticing gaps in senior leadership, are identifying problems that they would love to change. What role do the power dynamics play in this? And how can we impact change if we're not quite at the leadership level? 
Um, yeah. So first of all, so we've talked about like with colleagues or with personal relationships and, and, and with employees. First of all, that's, it's, it's really good to have that impact at whatever level in the organization you're in. So what I will tell you, having worked with a tremendous number of CEOs and a tremendous number of aspiring C-suite people, you know, people who are in the C-suite and people who are aspiring to be in the C-suite, is the number one challenge that I have seen people face when they're expecting and wanting and and, uh, have the skills to be promoted to C-suite, but they're not getting promoted. And the question is why? The number one thing that I see is their peers will not accept to report to them. Like I can't promote them because their peers don't want to work with them. And, and the reason I see that often is because it's often the very ambitious, the driving, et cetera, that's like, all right, I'm going to do that. I'm going to be better than everyone. I'm going to be up there. And what you realize at that level is that's not going to cut it. You know, it's like my friend Marshall Goldsmith wrote this beautiful book called What Got You Here Won't Get You There. And the title is terrific, right? Like the things that got you to that point, you could be an amazing individual contributor, but, you know, individual contribution, ambitious, aggressive individual contribution doesn't make it as a leader. And so to be able to use, to be able to help the people around you be successful, which feels counterintuitive because you think you're in competition with them. But to, be, to help the people around you to be successful is the number one predictor in what's going to get you promoted and everybody around you saying, I'd love to report to this person. I'm, I'm indebted to them for my career. They've helped me tremendously, right? But if you're being competitive with them, they're going to be like, no way. The worst thing for my career ever would be for this guy to be my boss or this woman to be my boss. Again, that comes back to the beginning of this conversation of somebody walking onto a sports team who's elevating everyone around them rather than getting in competition with everybody for that next spot or the or whatever attention they can get from from media or fans. Yeah, and, and it takes emotional courage and confidence, right? It takes a willingness to go, you know what? I know I should do this. It feels vulnerable. If I help this person... I might be not helping myself. Like it feels vulnerable, but I know, I know if I were advising someone else, this is what I would advise them to do. But to me, it feels vulnerable when I'm doing it. So that requires, I have to be willing to feel that risk in order to do the thing that's in my best interest. And we, you know, that happens all the time. I think it's such an important point to make because many in our audience right now are trying to get to that next level are seeing it as a competition and are often seeing problems and not feeling comfortable addressing them. And then what ends up happening inevitably is those problems can turn back around and get get pointed on you because you saw them, you were aware of them and you didn't action them. And anyone who does takes that opportunity then to leapfrog you, to get the promotion, to get ahead. It's 100% right, AJ. And, and here's what people do in those situations. What they do is instead of helping, they try to protect themselves. And they try to say, how will this person's poor behavior not reflect badly on me? And the moves they make when they're trying to protect themselves alienates them from everyone else and makes them look like they're just a CYA and like, who wants that person to be a leader? So our gut reaction in a situation where someone around us behaves poorly is to do the thing that doesn't make us look bad, which makes us look bad, right? 
And, and it's much more successful to go, hey, you know, I notice you're, and, and to say it nicely, like not in a judgmental way, but I notice, you know, you've had this run in with this person and I, I could see how hard it is. And I've also seen you amazing, right? I'm using my formula, empathy, confidence, permission. I've seen you, you know, be amazingly effective, you know, with, with kind of holdouts. Um, do you want to think it through together? Like, I'm very, very happy to think it through with you. And, and if they say yes, then you're off and running. What's the outcome I want? Well, I want, you know, a better relationship with this person and, you know, a, a, I, I need to get my needs met. I need my stuff delivered on time. I need that. Okay, great. So where's the opportunity? And we're off and running. And the last caveat there that I think, you know, I don't want the audience to miss is that patience tied to it. Because you may get a no, I, I don't have a minute. No, I don't want to discuss this now. They have seven other priorities, especially as they get more and more senior. But that open door with patience and emotional courage creates the opportunity. It just may take a little longer than you hope. 100%. And you've done the right thing because you've shown yourself as an ally and you've let them have the control. So you can say, no problem. I'm here if you ever want to talk about it. I'm really like, it's, I'd, I'd be more than happy if I could be helpful. And here, and, and here's my advice. Don't leave that meeting going, what a jerk. They didn't want my help, right? Because that's not going to help your, like, keep your positive intent and their positive intent. They're busy. Probably the reason they're in this is because they're not spending enough time on their relationships, you know, because if they were, then they would probably have a better relationship with this person. And so they don't have time because they're really overwhelmed. Maybe that's the thing that I could possibly help. Maybe I could take some of the work off of them in some way. Maybe I could support them in some way so that they have a little bit more space. In our company, we've called maintaining in the box, which you know all the rules. You know what you need to do to be a, a, a high value contributor to the team. And you do those things. And no matter how you feel inside, emotionally, you do not divert from what you know is right and you allow it to play out. And if you if you maintain in the box, then it'll usually play out in your favor. If you dive, if you move out of the box and, and allow your emotions and, and go by the whim of your emotions, you tend to mess things up not only for yourself, but for the whole team. I think the the underlying thread in all of this is your ability and understanding that you could be wrong. No matter what the plan is, no matter what the opportunity that you identify is, and what Johnny and I really enjoyed about the book is really coming at this as a scientist and being willing to experiment instead of coming at this from on high saying, I know the solution, this is the only way this is going to work, I already put a plan together, you just need to go and do it. And I think, unfortunately, when it comes to awful leadership and much of the leadership that we encounter that damages us in our career, it's not with that scientist mindset. It's with that do as I say, act on it, and I'm above you, therefore you must follow along. So I'm excited that our audience got to hear not only this framework and ideally check out the book. Do you have any other resources for our audience that could help support them in these difficult conversations? Sure. If you go to bregmanpartners.com, B-R-E-G-M-A-N partners.com, there's a ton of resources on there. We've got, you know, uh, videos, we've got, we've taped conversations that we've done, you know, coaching people and, and uh, we have dialogues that we've annotated. So you could say, this is what it might look like with the boss. This is what it might look like, you know, with your spouse. So there's a lot of resources on the site. Thank you for sharing, Peter. It was great chatting with you. AJ and Johnny, it's been so, so fun uh, having this conversation with you. I really, 
You drew out all the important stuff. You're great interviewers. Thank you. We appreciate the book, and I'm glad our audience is going to have an opportunity to work on changing themselves and those around them. Johnny, that was such a fun episode with Peter, and this is a very important topic these days. We talk a lot about fostering change in ourselves, but let's be honest. There are a lot of people around us who need to up their game too. And I love that he laid out the alley-oop model for us to start having that impact today. A team is only good as its weakest link, and you want to be able to motivate and lift up everybody around you. And this book gives you a direct path in doing that. It was so great having Peter on. Can't wait to have him back. Now, we got a big shout out this week, Johnny. As we talked about a few weeks ago, we were in Las Vegas for a weekend boot camp. And of course, if you heard any of the news, there were some flight delays. There were a lot of hiccups at the airports. And in fact, one of our graduates of the boot camp, William, had quite the experience, right? Yes. William was stranded due to the cancellations and wouldn't have been able to leave to get home until the very next day. But because he was at boot camp and was so used to talking with people and in our programs, we encourage people to, to have up to 200 conversations during the weekend using the tools that we've laid out so that they can perfect them and learn how to use them to their advantage. Well, William was still in that mood when he went to the airport. He began talking to the other travelers, found a couple other families who lived near him in San Diego. They had decided to rent an SUV and with two families he didn't know they drove back to San Diego and got home at a reasonable time. And it was due to William's newfound confidence and conversational Jedi mind tricks that he was able to open up new opportunities and doors he didn't even realize existed. And he wrote us to tell us that in the past, that crisis would have sent him into a tailspin. But instead, he now has the confidence to turn it into an opportunity. And that's the great part about everything that we teach in our boot camp and our X Factor Accelerator. If you'd love to learn more information about our upcoming boot camp schedule for 2022, text boot camp to 917 720 4104. That's plus one nine one seven seven two zero four one zero four to get on the wait list for our upcoming boot camps next year. Before we go, could you do us a huge favor? Head on over to Apple Podcasts, rate and review the show. It helps amazing guests like Peter come join us on the show, and we love hearing from our fans. The Art of Charm podcast is produced by Michael Harold and Eric Montgomery. Until next week, I'm AJ. And I'm Johnny. Have a great one. <laughs>